This is The Ignition Show. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to or welcome back to our podcast. My name is Chris Jansen, host of The Ignition Show, where our aim is to create meaningful conversations with switched on people about things that matter. Matter in the pursuit of your potential and igniting the flame within you to live your best and full life. The core tenet of this show is to bring you ideas, people, and insights that can help you unlock more of your potential. Sometimes it's inspiring examples of people that have achieved amazing things, and sometimes it's people that bring amazing clarity to what's needed to do amazing things and live an extraordinary life on your terms. I was reminded of one of the stark data points that existed on living life to the fullest, and that is the greatest regret of people at the end of their life. Through various research in this area, it's often described, the number one regret is often described as something to the effect of, I wish I'd had the courage to live life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. And isn't that so true? The most fundamental difference between people who are deeply fulfilled and those that are miserable or regretful is that their life conditions match their expectations of themselves. They were living in congruence with the life that they wanted, life that was true to them. Yet as our world seems to move with more pace, more urgency, more demands, and more choice than ever before, it's not always easy to make the tough decisions, or even the simple decisions, to make big changes, to get in more alignment. So coming back to that greatest regret, you know, when you actually look at what's been described there, it's not that they just said, I wanted to live a life true to myself. It's specifically, I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself. Courage. It's so much easier to say than to act with at times. There's no doubt that some of the biggest changes or risks that I've taken in my life, moving countries, changing careers, ending relationships, required courage because I was freaking out when I thought about doing what I wanted to do or doing what I felt was necessary to do. And as you embark on the year ahead, I want you to act with more courage and really go for what you really, really want. To help you with that, I'm super excited to bring you today's guest, Billy Anderson. When I think of courage, I think of Billy. He's a genuine expert in helping people break through their fears and create a life that is true to them. He has so many nuggets of wisdom in this episode, you've got to grab a pen and be ready to take notes. I think this is an episode you'll want to listen to more than once. Enjoy the conversation. On today's show, we're speaking with Billy Anderson. Billy is a coach, speaker, and founder of The Courage Crusade. He helps people to overcome their fears, build the courage muscle, and live a life that is true to them. What's more, and what I really appreciate about Billy is he's someone who practices what he preaches. He's jumped out of an airplane more than 100 times, trucked in the Himalayas, run with the bulls in Spain, and swam with the sharks in Thailand. He knows what it's like to be uncomfortable, and is the author of the fantastic book, Your Comfort Zone is Killing You. Billy, I'm excited to reconnect and have you here. Welcome to The Ignition Show. Me too. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So I'd love to dive in with a pretty basic fundamental question. How do you define courage and and why does it matter? Sure. So I define courage as um, courage is when you're scared, um, but you act anyway because of a bigger want. So a couple important things there that I think really important to always remember is that you can't be courageous unless you're scared. So sometimes people think, oh, he's really courageous. He's not scared. It's like, no, you, if you're not scared, it's not courage. So courage is being scared, doing it anyway because of a bigger want. Um, and I find that's the difference between being courageous and being crazy. Crazy is you, just, you do every, every scary thing possible. But some things out there are career-limited moves or they're just physically dangerous. So it's that bigger want. So identifying what's the opportunity or what's the reason why I might be willing to feel all this, these crappy sensations I feel when I'm scared um, and why would I bother to push through that? I actually love that addition. You know, you often hear it defined, and I don't know, I don't know what the dictionary says, but it is that kind of acting in the face of fear. But I love the addition yeah. of because of a bigger want, and I think that's a maybe often an important important thing that people forget that that's why they're acting in front of it, uh, because of it. And um, totally, you know, I was at a, a seminar recently, something that I attend on a regular, uh, you know, on an annual basis with with thousands of people. And when I talk to people about, and it's a seminar about um, you know, really taking control of your life and really creating the life that you want. And, and so often courage is a recurring theme that I hear people saying that this year, you know, if you're looking at an annual thing, setting goals for the year, it's like, this is a year I want to act with more courage, whether that's going after what they truly want or being more authentic to who they are. Um, I don't know your experience. You've been doing this for a while. Is courage becoming more of a common thing or sorry is it becoming more of a 
a necessary issue in, in people's lives, or has it always been something that we've dealt with? Yeah, interesting question. I mean, first of all, because I, I live in it um, every day, it's hard for me to know. <laughs> like, it feels like it's becoming more common, but maybe that's because I'm looking for it. And it's kind of like, you know, you buy a Honda Civic and then you notice all the Honda Civics yeah, on the road. Yeah, yeah. So, but I, so let me think. I think, because for me, it's always about, it's not just courage. The stuff that excites me the most is the courage to be your authentic self. So if we, that's always, in my opinion, the most important part. And so if we look at it that way, then yeah, I think it actually is more important now because of um, how connected we are to the, the rest of the world and, and social media mm. and all the, the, the BS with social media and how we compare ourselves, especially younger people. So yeah, when it comes, especially even to younger people, I think it's more important now than it's ever been before, specifically that courage to be, figure out who you are and be that regardless of the cause. I think that's a really interesting point. I actually haven't thought about it that way before, but I would agree with you that because of the way the world is now where we're all connected, we, we're, we're visible, at least we, we show off certain things to the world, um, yeah. that is more important to be to be courage. And does it, does it then by default, if kind of you look at the, I suppose the definition of courage and if, if it's more important now, is it by default then that we're more scared than we've ever been before? Um, I mean, and, and yeah, even, even when maybe, I ask that question, maybe. even when I ask that question, it sounds maybe a little too simplistic to say that we're more scared as a as a as a society or a culture. But yeah, what are your thoughts? I think yeah, I've never thought about it, but I think we probably are again because we're putting so much out there. Um, we're putting so much out there. You know, we've also got, I feel like we've got more opportunities almost every generation it seems like has more opportunities than they've had before. So then it gets, and a lot of, you know, the young, a lot of the younger people, I coach people of all ages, but the younger people I coach, sometimes they're like, you know, they say to me, the problem is I've got too many options, yes. which in one way is amazing. <clears throat> How many people in the world don't have, don't feel like they've got any options. Um, but yeah, it makes it, it makes it, I think it's more just, yeah, more and more important to figure out who the heck we are and have the guts to do that, or we'll get pulled into what's cool online. You're absolutely right. It, it actually takes me back to you know how you and I first met is 20 plus years ago. We worked together at the same uh, advertising agency, uh, similar yeah. kind of roles, different kind of different part of the business. And it always makes takes me back to you know in direct marketing, we, there was a kind of a, a guiding principle or rule of thumb that if you send some sort of communication out and you gave people options on how to respond, you know, by, you know, take this offer or that offer. If you gave people too many options, your response rate would decrease quite a bit. It creates inertia. People right. either get overwhelmed, yeah. they get confused, or they feel like they need to analyze all the options before they can take option, take action. And I can see how that can play out, especially with the younger, younger people, you know, access to everything, you know, this, this whole conversation around find your purpose. I think a lot of people, yeah. younger people are, um, there's a blessing and a curse to that whole conversation about find your purpose. It's, it's, it's a wonderful thought and it's you want people to live more purposefully for sure. But it's, there's almost this message that people get around, you can't live until you have your purpose. Or people are too yeah, much sure. dipping their toes into things before they really, really, really go deep into something. Totally. And it's all like, you know, live your purpose, live your purpose. Uh, but we're not going to tell you how to figure that out. <laughs> exactly. Because we don't know, because we don't know either. Exactly. Or and maybe even the, the parents generation or the older generation didn't have to, didn't, like it wasn't a thing. It wasn't a thing. You've got totally to figure out your thing. purpose. Totally wasn't a thing. And if you go, like if I go back two generations to my grandparents, it's like purpose. I grew up in the depression sleeping with six kids in the same bed what's a purpose exactly <laughs> so purpose is to eat, eat and eat and uh, sleep and survive yeah 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 um so no that's changed a lot and mark twain once said i'll probably screw it up but something like i can help anybody get what they want the problem is i can't find anyone who knows what they want mm. and that's where people people get yeah i should have a purpose oh my god and be happier i'm gonna have more of a positive impact and all that but how do i figure it out and the number of sharks out there you know you see it ads all the time on social media learn the two simple things you need to do to do like people are simplifying it so much um and not really giving people the actual tools to figure it out yeah you know and coming back to courage i, I used to think i was 
you know, in preparation for our conversation, I was, I was thinking a lot and reading some things <clears throat> around courage. And I, I kind of realized that I suppose I used to think growing up, I used to think that courage was about doing an act, you know, something scary, like jumping out of an airplane. Uh, but I've come yep. to learn that often the greatest courage comes in small moments of decision of remaining true to yourself or standing up for what you believe in or, or taking an action that might be unpopular or uncomfortable, but it aligns more to your values or the vision that you want. What, what's your, what's been your experience and the people you've worked with in terms of the comparing the, the big acts of courage, you know, the changing jobs or resigning from a company to start your own business or getting into or out of a new relationship, those big acts of courage versus the small moments of courage. What's, what's your experience of those two? Yeah, for sure. Um, and it, it is important because a lot of times people think it's not courageous unless it's epic. Yeah. Like I left my career. I said, F you, I'm quitting and I walked out and I bought a sailboat and sailed around the world. Like that just rarely happens. So people underestimate their courage because they think it has to be massive. And it is, I started off as a courage guy because I'm an adrenaline junkie. So it was the skydiving, it was the bungee jumping, it was all that. But I'm way more into helping people with that smaller stuff and those baby steps because I say the courage is a muscle. So even uh, if it, A, if it scares you, it counts, whether it scares anyone else or not. So even if it's, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say hi to someone on the elevator today at work. If that scares you, it's courageous and it counts and courage is a muscle. So that that goes into your pool of courageous things you've done. And then if a big courageous opportunity is necessary later on, you're going to be more able to do it because you took all these little baby steps. But yeah, people are people, you know, we compare ourselves to each to other people all the time. And everyone thinks that everybody else is more confident, more courageous, has their act together better than they do. But everyone's looking at you thinking the same thing and no one's willing to admit they're hanging on by a thread. Yeah. And it is those, um, I've coached enough people to see a, a serious pattern, which is the three biggest fears, or at least how they show up, are failure, looking stupid, and not being liked. And they're all related to your ability to belong. And so, yeah, the biggest acts of courage are the ones that feel like they're going to hurt our ability to be liked or belong. So that can be saying you disagree with something. It can say, no, you know what? I'm not going to come to that. I actually just want to stay home and do this. Um, it could be standing up for somebody else. So it's, it's those fears that actually were most programmed thanks to evolution to avoid at all costs, but it's most what we got to do. And at the again, it's so fascinating. At the core of the fears of failure, looking stupid and not being like is what I call the biggest fear. I call it the big and nasty, which is um, how am I going to be judged? because we're all scared that we're not good enough and we don't matter. So mm-hmm. kind of heavy, but that's literally what I've seen. I don't care. I've coached from youth at risk kids to CEOs and it's all that fear of how am I going to be judged? How is this going to make me look? And is that going to make me less liked? Yeah, I think you're, you're bang on. And um, that's what I thought I was going to ask you because, you know, you often hear uh, and read about that. The biggest fear is public speaking. Is, is ahead of death. And I just think that's an outdated model or research, whatever it might be, because I think there's enough knowledge and you certainly have enough wisdom in your years to get down to the real, real core that um, I, and I agree with you. There is that big and nasty fear. And the, so the three fears, just so I'm clear, before you get to the big and nasty, you said is yeah. it's failure, looking stupid or needing to be liked. Is that right? Yeah. Not being liked. Not yeah. being liked. Yeah. Yeah. For me, right. Be me, I've I've done enough kind of work on myself that I know that it's it falls for me more in the not being liked camp, and um, me too, me too. That's been. Uh, have you are you familiar at all with the um, the work of um, oh his name is escaping me, but his work is the uh, immunity to change. No, you'd be you'd be really interested in that. I'll send you I'll send you some stuff on. Cool. That. Um, yeah, please. But do. through that work, that was really really shone the spotlight on. But my, one of my deepest fears is the, the need to be liked, or I suppose more accurately to say is my fear is, uh, I never want to be unliked. I don't need to be liked by everybody. Yeah. I just don't want to be unliked by somebody. And, yeah, uh, no, that's, a, that's a good distinction. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and what well, I, you're right about, you're sorry, you're, I just want to say about the public speaking, because public speaking is a hugely common fear, but the public speaking is just the medium through which the real fear is showing up. 
Yes. Um, because you know, everyone thinks that failure is the biggest issue, but you know, people, I do this all the time in keynotes. It's like, Hey, put up your hands if you've ever sung in the shower and every hand goes up. Um, and I was like, Hey, who keep your hand up if you would be willing to sing the Super Bowl, the, sorry, the, the national anthem at the Super Bowl in front of millions of viewers and every hand goes down. And like, you just prove that it's not failure because your voice isn't any better in the shower. It's just, no one is there to judge it. Yes. So we're not scared of, public speaking we're scared of not doing well at public speaking and then what are they going to think of us yes it's yeah, the, and are they going to like us it's the distinction that i often think about and you might have a, some sharper more sharper insights than i do on this but it's the difference the distinction between the surface level fear and the either the deeper yeah. fear or the real fear <clears throat> totally and totally. i think when you i think people are pretty pretty good at identifying the what they think is the fear, but it's really the surface level fear. And how, how do you help people maybe yeah. go a little bit deeper? How, if someone's listening to this and maybe they're, maybe they're stuck in some way, or again, uh, as I, I've talked about in recent episodes in the podcast is, you know, we're still early in the year. People want to achieve something, but if they're experiencing kind of hesitation or resistance and they think that there might be something that they're uncomfortable with. Um, how do you help people identify what the real fear is? Sure. So if it was a, like a longer conversation I was having with them or like a coaching program, I would ask them enough questions that they would get there on their own because that's obviously when it's more valuable. But for a shorter Coles Notes kind of thing, if Coles Notes still exists, but it got me through high school and university, yeah. is you know, if anyone is hesitating uh, or procrastinating something that they know they want to do or would be good for them, simply ask themselves, how might the fear of being judged how does that come into this? How am I worried I'm going to come across? And then once you get down to realize that, it's like, oh, I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to look selfish or I'm going to look like stupid or I don't know. Um, the fear is still going to be there, but it, it just loses a little bit of power once you identify what it is. And then the motivation to do scary things, and you mentioned it earlier, is, and I said about the want, and the want is just how might doing this scary thing help you be the person you want to be. And that's, in other words, how will it help you align with your values? Mm -hmm. So here are my 10 values. Why would I want to go ahead and do this? Well, that's going to align with, you know, I'm making this up, but value to others and freedom and discovery. So that's why I'm going to do it. And then we ask ourselves, is that bigger than the fear itself? Or a bit of a risk analysis would be what's the worst case scenario? And, you know, how can I mitigate that? And can I live with that? Mm. That makes sense? Yeah, it totally makes sense. And it makes me think of, uh, I was at a, a, another event a couple of years ago and it was with a group of entrepreneurs and they had, it was kind of a, a bit of a Q&A with, with some successful entrepreneurs. And there was a guy there who was saying his business was really, was small. You know, he was hustling it. Uh, he was doing work kind of in the evenings after his day job and into the, into the night. And he's working with his wife and his brother, got packing boxes in his garage on the weekends, really hustling and doing well. And then it came to a point where he was at that, that kind of that precipice where he had a, an opportunity to really scale the business. And I, I forget the scenario, uh, whether he was either going to quit his day job because he was at that point where maybe he could make that transition or he was going to accept some large capital or he's going to cash in his investments, his retirement or whatever it was. But it was a big decision. And the, the, the moment, the conversation he had with himself was he literally said to himself, I've always wanted to be the kind of guy who would make those kind of decisions, those you know, bold, courageous decisions and go all in. And he said, huh, yeah. maybe if I make that decision now, I'll be that guy. So he wasn't, right. he, wasn't, he wasn't so confident and so at ease with it all. He was freaking out, but he was conscious yeah. enough to know that he had to make that decision to be the guy that he wanted to be, which I think is a very powerful, not easy, but very powerful way of looking at it. Yeah, very cool. And, we'll, and people think that along those lines, like, Again, if I'm scared, if I'm nervous about doing this, then I'm not actually courageous. Because if I was truly courageous, I wouldn't feel scared, yeah. which is total BS. Like, um, you're scared when you do it. Like, I'm the most courageous person I know. That just means I'm scared more often than everybody I know. Because mm. um, you can't be courageous w without that. And so people sometimes think, oh, that's not the courage because I was scared. Well, that's exactly what it was then. And uh, on that note, in your own experience with courage, I've heard you tell... Um, incredible story of what happened to you. Was it New Year's Eve at the turn of the century the, in 1999? Was that right? Or was it the year? Yeah, it's, it's weird. It's weird to hear, to hear it called the turn of the century, but you're absolutely right. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, tell us, tell us yeah. that story. 
Yeah, because it's it's and it's just it's a powerful story because it's 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 literally the most, in my opinion, the most craziest thing uh, I've ever done. So yeah, it was New Year's Eve, um, 3 a.m. driving back to my campsite, uh, me and my brother, and up ahead on the side of the road on the highway, I learned later was a guy and his fiance, and they were arguing. And at the last second, the guy tried to run across the highway. At the very last second, and I hit him, um, and he died pretty much right away. You were driving the car. So I was driving the car. Yeah. So obviously, pretty big deal, pretty traumatic um, kind of event. Anyway, the police come, all that kind of stuff. I mean, that alone is a whole conversation, too, in terms of how, how surreal all of that was. But then the next day, we flew back home. We were down south. We flew back home to Toronto. And I basically, basically got home. I sat on the couch. And I sat there, and I waited until it got dark. Thinking, and I kept thinking about the night before. And as soon as, it, as soon as it got dark outside, I got in my car and went driving on the highway. And that was the most craziest thing I've ever done because obviously that was the absolute last thing I wanted to do was get in my car and go driving. And I just figured that if I didn't get back on the horse right away, I never would. Yes. So I didn't. And so that's when we talk about what's the want that's bigger than the fear. So the fear of obviously getting back in a car at night, driving on the highway, you know, the next day was was massive and so the warrant that was slightly bigger was that i didn't want to be scared driving on the highway at night for the rest of my life Mm. and many years later now how are you with driving at night i've been fine ever since i got back in the car the next day that's amazing yeah when i heard that story sorry go ahead no i was just gonna say um it's, uh, it, I mean, obviously it helped immensely knowing that it wasn't my fault. Like it was, he ran across the highway. I was in my lane. I mean, if that had been, you weren't, you didn't, story, you weren't under the influence at all. Exactly. And if any of that had been true, then that, I mean, that would have been tougher to get over. But so that's, that was such a learning experience. And literally ever since then, it's that idea of I'm scared of X. I need to do X as, as soon as possible. What do people learn when they dig into their fears? Sure, cool, fun question. So, a they usually don't. <laughs> they don't. So, no, they don't dig if, in. If, yeah. No, they don't. Because we're all again at the core of all of those fears. It's like I'm scared that I'm not good enough and I don't matter. And so people tend to avoid change or that self awareness because there's a part of us that's scared that we're going to dig in. And maybe realize that we're not very good and maybe we don't matter. And we'd rather not know, so I'm just going to stay busy and keep the blinders on. But when we do dig into it, the beautiful thing is we realize that we're all the same. We're all scared of that same thing. Um, And we're all actually really good at something. And that's how we're going to matter in this life. But again, there's just, there's a fear that, well, two things. One, maybe I'm not, I'm going to discover that I'm not actually that good at anything. And I don't want to know that. The other fear is that I'm gonna, if I dig in and become more self-aware, I'm going to see the disconnects in my life and I'm going to have to change those. And we're programmed to avoid change at all costs. So, but the, the, the relief digging into it is, oh my gosh, I'm the same as everybody else. Um, and I'm kind of good enough the way I am. And this one biggest, these big fears that I've got, they're from evolution and my childhood and they're not me. Um, and then they'll never go away, but then we're aware of what they are and we can, we can manage them a little bit better. We never control the fear, but we manage it better. And tell me more about what that, what that means in practice. How do we, how do we manage our fears better? Sure. So it's a couple things. So one is, um, for me, it all starts with knowing what your values are, because that's why you're going to choose to do courageous things because that courageous thing aligns with that person that you want to be. So that's where the the, <clears throat> the initial motivation comes. Then it's a certain amount of self-talk. Like we've got this, I call, well, I call it this. A lot of people call it the inner critic. So when we step out of our comfort zone or even contemplate stepping out of our comfort zone, that voice, that inner critic starts chirping in our head like this isn't going to work. This isn't the right time. You don't have enough information. You're not smart enough. You're not good enough. These people are smarter than you. Your opinion doesn't matter. You don't fit in. Don't do it. And that's some of that horrible self-talk that all of us hear. And it's even nice when people realize that everybody has that voice. It's not just me. Oh, my gosh, I thought I was crazy. Because <laughs> if we're all crazy, then, then we're not crazy. Um, so then it's realizing where that voice comes from 
and you need a bit of help figuring that out, but it comes from your childhood. Uh, and it's just realizing that that's not you and having that conversation. So I call my inner critic Bill because when I'm not being my fun, goofy, Billy self, I'm being a bit safer. Mm. And when you met me, I was a Bill. Mm. I was following that script of life. I'm going to go to university. I'm going to be like my dad. I'm going to be a corporate guy. I'm going to work in an office. And I was a Bill. And when I left advertising to become an Outward Bound instructor, I'm like, I'm going back to Billy. Um, Were you Billy in your as a kid and in a teenager or yeah. in school? Yeah. yeah. Was, it, was told, it a conscious you know, decision to go by Billy when you got into the corporate world? As our go by Bill. So, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's also just what almost every Billy does. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's like just wanting to. I'm a teenager now. I'm going to be grown up. I'm going to go by Bill. So I don't remember when it happened, but it's. I think it's pretty normal with that name. Um, and you know, I found all my report cards from my childhood like a few years ago. And I read them all. And me being Billy, then I was always in trouble at school. So then, you know, I wanted to be a Bill and I wanted to grow up and all that stuff. But then just realizing when I left advertising, I'm like, that's not who I am. I'm going back to Billy. I'm mm -hmm. a goof. I'm silly. And that's what I'm going to do. So now it's, so let's say I'm about to do like a keynote and I'm sitting there and they're reading out my bio and I'm about to talk in front of a lot of smart looking people, <laughs> which is always the scariest kind of audience. And that voice starts chirping in my head. This isn't going to work. You're talking about stuff they already understand. You're not telling them anything new. Maybe you don't know much about this. Maybe you need to work at Starbucks. Maybe this isn't going to work. Maybe your business is going to fail. And so it's, it's catching that voice and listening to it, which sounds kind of weird because you're, that inner negative voice is like a roommate that's never going to leave us alone. And if you ignore your roommate, they'll just yell. It's not, so it's yeah, like it's not a, only the roommate. It's the roommate who doesn't pay rent and doesn't clean up after himself. Yeah, true, true, exactly. And so it's, 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 I have that conversation with that voice. It's okay, what are you trying to tell me here? What are you worried is going to help, is going to happen? Because your inner critic is just telling you the worst case scenario. But nine out of 10 times, it's incorrect. So it's having, it's okay, what am I feeling here? Okay, obviously I'm scared, but this is what I do for a living. I've done this before, I've prepared. Yes, this is going to feel crappy until I get up there and start talking. Um, but no. Thanks for your warning. I'm going to go ahead and give this a try. And it sounds kind of schizophrenic to have that conversation with that inner voice, but over time, it really starts to quiet down. Yeah. Yeah. I've had the same experience. You're making me think of probably the very first time I spoke on stage in a, in a significant way. It was, it was at a conference, 300 of my peers there. And I can still remember I was standing on the side of the stage as the, the MC was kind of reading, doing the introduction to the segment. And yeah, that's the worst part. Pardon me? Yeah, that's the scariest part. Yeah, yeah. Well, what was, what was, what was like, I found it, I was having this little out-of-body experience because it was fascinating as much as it was entertaining because I'm a pretty confident standing in front of a group of people. I've done a lot of that in my career. But this is probably, this was the first time I was kind of t telling my own story um, to, pe to peers who were on a journey to similar to mine or certainly further ahead than me. And I can remember staying there and as the, the MC is talking, the only thing that's going through my head is this, I uh, didn't think of it at the time, but this, it was an inner critic picturing me. It, was, it wasn't telling me stuff. It was picturing me tripping when I get on stage or in the middle of my talk, falling off the front of the stage, cracking my head on the floor and seeing the ambulance come in to take me away. And, and I'm like, I, I caught myself totally wrapped up in this, this vision. And I literally had a moment I started laughing. And that's my probably my coping coping nice. mechanism is I kind of laugh at things. It's a bit of a, maybe a nervous nervous uh, trait, but but it helped because I actually laughed and I said that is funny. I got this, thank you. I'll be fine. And you're right. So yeah, you had the, the conversation. Yeah, yeah. The more you the more you talk it down or talk to it or reassure it or thank it, thank that inner critic for the message it's trying to give you. The less it feels like totally. it needs to to do throw a little tantrum at you. And like any fear, you can't fight it. Um, and that's so that thanking it is great. So literally, it's like, and I call my inner critic. I think I should give it a name. I'm like, my inner critic is Bill because that's who I used to be when mm. I'm not being myself. I said, okay, Bill, what are you trying to tell me? It's like, oh, it's, this is going to work. You're going to sound like an idiot. Okay, thank you. Thank you for your input. But you know what? I think I'm good. I think I got this. And so it's, yeah, it's not, it's treating it as like your, your actual, your inner ally. It's just, it's like you're in a meeting. You want someone to poke holes in the strategy because yeah. you want to make sure you considered everything. 
And so just seeing it, that's its job. And the problem is we kind of let that voice spiral because we, we think it's our intuition. Hmm. Tell me more about that. Tell me more about the the confusion between intuition and the critic. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So the critic is based on two things. It's based on evolution, where for the last hundreds of thousands or millions of years, depending on what your beliefs are on evolution, if you stepped out of your comfort zone, you literally died. So we're programmed to stay in our comfort zone at all times because in the Stone Age, which is 99% of our existence, taking a risk got you killed. So there's that. But then there's that other part of that, that other fears that we get from our childhood and how we interpret the world. Um, and that's sorry, I forget your question. What was your question? Your question was just, just it was interesting how you said we think it's our intuition. Oh, when it's really the intuition, critic. right. So it's realizing that it's, it's evolution and our childhood and who we wanted to be and felt like who we needed to be to get love from our parents. Um, that's what that inner voice is all about. And so once you understand that's what it's about, you realize, oh, that's not necessarily. Uh, intuition, right? That's not a, a gut feeling. But again, you know, the Stone Ages, how, what we're programmed for still. And if you worried about everything, um, it kept you alive. But that's still what we've got, whereas we live in that world where we're not chased by saber-toothed tigers mm-hmm. anymore and we're not going to get attacked. So it is, I don't know, I don't know for myself, how do I know if it's intuition or not? Uh, you know what? I try not. To, I try not. To, I don't think about intuition. I just go with how something feels. Like, does this feel exciting for me, or does this feel scary? If this feels scary, is there an opportunity to do it? So I don't. I don't really feel like I'm answering your question because I don't really know the answer. I just know that it, if there's an intuition, like I walk into a, a dark parking lot and I get a really bad feeling, I'm going to listen to that. But that's only for physical stuff. I don't listen to my intuition for anything that's not like physical like that. Mm. I go with, does this excite me or not? If it doesn't, I'm not doing it. If it excites me, I'm going to consider doing it. Yeah. What, what it makes me think if uh, I can help kind of fill in the blank. There yeah, as well, yeah. Is, yeah. Cause you're making me think as well that, um, you know, we think about, let's say either the people that we coach or even for ourselves in our own business, right? We're trying to, let's try to, go out there and live life even more on our terms and our way and have the kind of impact that yep. we want to have. And, and the critic can show up a lot of times, but it's, it can be a helpful distinction that is this, maybe the distinction is it's, it might be more critic if it has a negative voice related to failure, looking stupid or not being liked. But if it's related in some way to the bigger want, if there's something in you that's that's exciting mm-hmm. you, energizing you, pulling you towards something because of a bigger want, even if it's scary or awkward, you don't know how you might not succeed, you might fail, you might look stupid at doing it, but there's something in there. There's almost like, you say, yeah, you all may not be able to put your finger on it every time, but there's some little spark in there that's, uh, that's calling something. It's, there's something being called inside you to want to take action yeah. in that way. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a neat way just to think about it more. It's on that positive side. It's more uh, the spark. Like I know for my business, you know, you get business opportunities all the time. Hey, let's do something together. Or let's try building this. And the great advice I got was when I hear someone gives me, when I hear an opportunity, it's one of two things only. It's a F yes mm. or it's 100% a no. Mm. So if it's like, hey, Billy, we could, let's partner, let's do this thing. And if I'm incredibly excited about it, I'll say yes. If it's anything else, I say no. And that's maybe what you're, I think that makes me think of that with your intuition. Like if, it's, if my instant thinking is, well, that might be fun or I could potentially do that, that's a no. Mm. So I like that. I like, you're right. I think thinking about intuition more on the positive side than maybe we, we listen to it a bit more. Yeah. And if people don't like that sound, then just consider it feeling like how does it feel does it feel exciting um maybe that's your intuition saying oh this might be worthwhile yeah it's an yeah. interesting topic right yeah yeah it is it is you know and um i'm kind of drawing on the old old adage that hindsight is 2020 in your experience of, of mm-hmm. not only just telling t- you know teaching people about courage and all the stuff that you're talking about here but also coaching people through it and seeing people perhaps what i might say is on the other side of courage like they've they've acted they've they've They've, they've wrestled with their critic, they've fought their inner demon, whatever it might be, and they've actually taken the action. With hindsight being 2020, what do people think or what do people notice or what do people understand 
after the courageous acts or the courageous moments or courageous decisions? Sure. So the first thing they notice is a feeling. Um, and it's a feeling of excitement and empowerment. Because even if the, the courageous thing didn't go as well as you thought, like obviously we hope it does, but those aren't all, that result's not totally in our control. But what was in their control was that they were scared and they, they pushed through it. So it's this sense of empowerment when we face a fear, especially those fears that are related to, you know, you're looking stupid and not being liked because then when we're being courageous against those fears, we're being courageously ourselves. And that feels good because we're basically <laughs> without realizing we're saying that who I am matters and I'm standing up for that. So it's the sense of empowerment. And it's, it is a bit like a drug. It's like, holy crap, that was scary. I had this big adrenaline surge and I didn't die and it went okay. I kind of maybe want that again. Um, and so that's it. It's that sense of empowerment. And almost a sense of what's next. Like now, what am I going to do? I had this bank, my bank manager, a really conservative guy, which is great for me because I'm super courageous, but not with money. <laughs> and so he was, he read my book and he's like, okay, this is cool. Let's give this a shot. I want to do something courageous. And I said, okay, um, Mr. Traditional Conservative Banker, next time I come and see you, I want you wearing socks that don't match. <laughs> and he got so uncomfortable. He's looking around his, his banking office and his other managers. And <clears throat> he's like, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. And then I went and saw him four months later and he leaps out from behind his desk and he pulls up his pants and he's like, I did it. <laughs> it's like a black sock and a dark gray sock. <laughs> but for him, for him, that was scary, which means that's courageous. Right. Mm. And right away he's like, all right, what can I do next? So that what can I do next is what I hear a lot. And that comes from that empowerment and that sense of adventure. So it sounds like it really builds momentum for people that, and, I, and I, uh, yeah, builds momentum that they're, they're, they've got that energy or that excitement and that sense of empowerment. They want to put it into action in some way. And I think it's, um, right. I, can, I can actually relate that back to your story of your car accident. That I can see how yep. that, that, that time matters. The fact that you got back in the car the next night, which is incredible. Can I just say that that's, uh, not only is it inspiring, it's a, an incredible statement of who you are, Billy, and, and how you have grown from that and i think that's uh, it's so inspiring for someone to do that in such a you know a life altering um experience that within 24 hours you at least you addressed it you may not fully resolve the, all the emotions that might come up around it but right. but t t talk to me talk to me about the the, the importance of time and the, the capitalizing yeah. on the what next and not waiting too long yeah no it's a valid point because and I think most people would come, would understand that that the quicker the better, um, and that's because we'll we'll build it up we'll build it up in our head, right? The longer we let things go, the longer we procrastinate stuff. And we only procrastinate because it's scary. Um, yeah, the bigger our brain is going to build it up, and the more we'll come up with excuses not to do it. Um, so yeah, it's very important to do it, you know, while it's fresh and kind of nipping it in the bud. But I'm just trying to think: is it possible to do it too early i don't think it is i don't think it is but yeah it is important because we our brain builds it up because our brain again we're programmed to stay in our comfort zone so you give it time to fester and your brain will start coming up with reasons why it's not a good idea to do it and we even do it day to day with you know, I'm going to have that, I'm going to have that difficult conversation with my boss today. And we put it in our calendar, but then we let the day get away from us, which it doesn't, we let it. And then we cut and paste it into Tuesday. And then we cut and paste it into Wednesday. Yeah. And by the time Friday comes around, oh, you know, we start convincing ourselves, oh, you know what? Maybe I'll just let it go this time. That's right. So yeah, hard to do, but empowering. I've, I've really learned a lot lately about procrastination because I procrastinate a lot. Um, and the building it up and making it worse than it is, is ridiculous. And if you rip that bandaid off right away and we've all done it, it's like, wow, that's even more of a weight off my shoulders than I thought. And nine, I just find 99% of the times it's not as bad as we thought it was going to be. And I cried the whole time I, I drove the car the next day. You, you cried the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. I can, like, I can't imagine, cannot imagine what an emotional experience that would have been both uh, as it, as it happened and, uh, in during that night, but also just how that would stick with you for quite a while. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So does, 
does courage need to be, or to what extent does courage, you know, I think about what we see acts of courage, right? Maybe it's the, you know, heroic efforts on the, in the sporting arena that we see on TV, you know, you think of an Olympian who's overcome an injury or something like that. Or we think about it as, you know, the firefighters who go into the burning building, or we see it in movies like the gladiator or someone battling against, you know, big pharma, whatever, a single mom battling to create a life for her kids. To what extent, just talk about maybe the spectrum of what courage looks like. Does it need to be a battle? Is it a is it fighting it out? Is it overpowering this giant? Or or to what extent could be done with with grace or ease? Yeah, yeah. Again, it's like that inner critic. It's like how can we make this feel less like a fight, right? Or how can we do this? Because the good thing about about fear is that it'll help ensure that you do it. You, you do that courageous action properly, or you put enough thought into it, right? Um, so how can we do it with ease? One thing, it's, it's, it's understanding that courage feels bad in the moment. It feels scary, but I'm going to benefit from it. And then it's giving yourself permission to start small. Uh, and that's a big mistake I see lots of people make. So if it's like if you're terrified in your job, to share an idea and then you're like my craze act this week i'm going to put up my hand and share one idea once awesome and if that scares you it counts and so it's giving permission in terms like you said in terms of doing it with ease um it's giving yourself permission to start small and then we build we build we build we build if speaking to a thousand to 50 people puts you in your panic zone then what's a much smaller version of that is it running the next five person meeting? And if I do that five times, that's no longer in my courage zone. That's actually in my comfort zone. So now I can up the ante and now I'm going to do it in front of 20 people. So I think those baby steps are really important. And then as well as just, it's so important for people to understand why they get scared and that whole role that evolution plays because no one is willing to change or try anything new until they understand that their, their nervousness, their fears around it are totally normal. Once they know that, oh, everybody gets scared about this. Okay, cool. What can we do about it? Because mm. um, again, yeah. we're all worried that everyone else has their act together better than we do. Well, yeah, it's like it's like how I often look at it is, if one that was a that was a big, a big probably moment in my own development, uh, my own growth as an adult is is recognizing that everyone does have fears. The world's greatest athletes, the yeah. world's leading politicians, the most powerful. You know, back in the day, the U.S. president, the most powerful man in the universe or on the world, the planet, um, which is not the case today, of course. But um, yeah. but if they have fears, then okay, then it's not then having the fear in whatever it might be is never the defining factor as to why you're not uh, taking action or, or achieving that thing. It's never the defining factor. Totally. Yeah. Yep. And it's not the fear isn't you. It's not even your fault that it's there. Um, and that's why I love reading biographies of famous, successful people, because it's only in getting into that level of detail that you hear about all the struggle, all the self-doubt, all the failure, um, and realizing that, yeah, everybody's got it. And if, if, if people don't ever hear that inner voice telling them not to do something, then they are coasting through life and they're playing it safe. And, you know, the CEO of whatever biggest company, if he or she always knows what to do, they're screwed because yeah. life isn't that easy. Um, and it's, there's always uncertainty. And if there isn't, it's like, you know what? I never get scared. I'm never, I never feel, I never hear that voice. It's like, wow, you're going to have so many regrets on your deathbed because you've been playing it safe the whole time. Well, I think you've nailed it with your, the title of your book, Your Comfort Zone is Killing You. And, yep. you know, for a lot of people who are growth oriented, who are seeking to take their life to another level of fulfillment or success or experience or adventure. You know, they recognize they, this, a lot of people do say it explicitly that they want to get more outside their comfort zone. They want to challenge themselves or even, even if people don't say that explicitly, that's kind of what they're, they're seeking. So with all your wisdom, if someone, if you had a chance to sit down with somebody who said, Billy, I want to get more out of my comfort zone this year with all your wisdom, Billy, what might be the top pieces of advice or insight or just even questions to reflect on that you might throw back at them to help them really, uh, really take action in a meaningful way? Right. 
Yeah, I love it. So the first thing I would say um, is figure out what your values are, which is great because that's an actual tangible tool they can use. Um, and there's a free one on my website, but there's lots of free ones online. So figure out what, what are your values, the 10 things or five or whatever that are most important to you. And then the thing that's going to sound weird is have the courage to be more selfish. And what I mean by that, because it can sound kind of negative, is have the courage to make decisions based on your values, not other people's. And there's an absolute ap epidemic in the world of people not putting themselves first enough, not taking care of themselves. And then you show up half-assed in your job or half-assed as a parent because you're not taking care of your needs as well. So what are your values and how can you live true to those um, and worry less about judgment by other people? So for example, like if you've got kids, if you've got a spouse, they're going to show up somehow in your values. So in taking care of yourself, you're also taking care of other people too, but it's doing it for you. And that, that'll keep you motivated. Does that make sense? It might sound kind of... Yeah, no, it totally does. <laughs> the one uh, addition I, that has um, that's been kind of struck me in recent years is the distinction of, of people do feel like taking care of themselves is being selfish. And I, I like yeah. to spin it around and say it's actually self-nourishing or self-replenishing or self-directing. Yeah. Um, and you're absolutely right. When people do fill up their tank, they've got they've got more to give to others. Totally, it's it's in taking care of ourselves first means we show up so much better for everybody else. You've mentioned so values, selfish. yeah. You've mentioned values yeah. a handful of times in this conversation. So why is why is understanding that so important, and why is it worth doing the work to get clear on those values? Yeah, so it's <clears throat> your values represent <clears throat> sort of who you who you are and who you want to be. Um, and so then it's a decision-making filter. So two things. One, your values explain every emotion you ever feel. So, hey, did you have a good weekend? Yeah, I had a great weekend. You had a great weekend because you were aligning with some of your values. Um, no, I had a crappy weekend. You had a crappy weekend because some of your you, you or someone else was stepping on your values. Explain every every emotion that you feel, and you can get more of what you want. The other one is then you're making decisions based on your values rather than based on what's the less scary option. So if I'm stuck on a decision, it's okay. What are my main options here? I could do this or I could do that, and then I go through my list of values, and it's like okay, this value fits that option better. This value, and then at the end, it's like, wow, seven of my values align with doing that. Only three of them align with doing that. So it helps us make decisions that are right for us rather than just that are less scary and what happens and i've done this with a thousand people in a room it's like hey put up your hands if one of your options aligns with way more of your values than the other every hand goes up i say keep your hands up if that's the scarier option every hand stays up yeah. so our values help us see whether something is a fit or not or whether fear is just getting in the way does that make sense yeah i love the way you define that or describe that and it makes me also think that you know, if you were if you were stuck in a decision, and I think for anyone listening to this, that's a great, it's a great practical way of <clears throat> of using your values. It's not just a you know a motivational poster on the wall somewhere. Exactly. It's, some, exactly. it's, a, it's a filter for making decisions. And to your example, if you got two options, you're you're stuck on making a decision. Should I go this direction or this direction? This option A, there's seven values that align to it. Option B, three al three align. Well, what that tells me, and the way I like to think of it, is that okay, so option A is the better option. And not only might it still be uncomfortable or scary or yep. whatever the case may be, but you can make that decision with a with a vastly greater sense of peace or confidence or yep. trust or faith or uh, oomph <laughs> or empowerment. Yeah. Because you know, totally. even if it doesn't work out, even if you don't get the result that you want, you can stand proud knowing that you made a decision yep. on something that was true to you. Totally. Exactly, because and we focus too much on the results, and they're just not in our control all the time. But if you, we will be happy, hugely impactful people if we can go to bed every night and tick that box that says I'm proud of who I was today, uh, regardless of what happened. And the values help us know who we who we want to be. And you're right, it's a tool. Like it's an absolute tool you can use, and you can use it with each other. Like with a spouse. Like you know, my wife will come to me and say, Hey, I want to talk to you about this weekend. It's going to step on your freedom value. Isn't that a good time? And I'll be like, Isn't yeah. Isn't a good time to like, step hey, on you... your freedom? <laughs> yeah, it's now a good time to talk about it. <laughs> and I'll be, so I'll, I'll have a warning. And she's also framed what's going to be a difficult conversation mm. in terms of what matters to me. 
And that keeps me listening. I had a CEO and a VP of sales. They were talking and the CEO said something. The VP of sales, his neck went red. And the CEO said to him, your neck's red. That means I've stepped on one of your values. Which one? And he said, simplicity. I think you're complicating this. Okay. How do we make it simpler? Like imagine if all of our conversations went that way. That's awesome. Yeah. And that's, you're right. It, 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 um, what that makes me think is that when you're clear on the values and you can act in the way and you can call out when your values are being violated in some way or being run over, stepped on, then it just, it just shortcuts all the drama and gets down to a real point where you can have, sounds like for the most part, it, at least it creates, uh, I think it creates a, uh, an opportunity to have a really objective, meaningful, collaborative conversation versus right. a defensive, combative. And, um, you know, when people don't totally. have a language for talking about what the real issue is, they can battle about a whole lot of peripheral issues that are never really getting Absolutely. down to the core point. Absolutely. And the one thing to know is, especially in a romance is, if your partner, anyone's partner, you know, you're in an argument and they start pulling in things you did eight years ago, or <laughs> you always this or you never this, it's because they're not sure what's actually bothering them and they're scared they don't have a right to be angry. So they bring in everything that they've right gone wrong. And if you stop and go to the values, it's like you look through the list and it's like, oh my God, it's that. It's, it's, it's respect or it's, it's honesty or it's learning it, and you just it takes that big emotional mess that takes over our you know reptil, reptilian brain and it just it we can pinpoint rationally what's actually going on what's actually bugging me i want to come back to a point you said there you said you're scared you don't have the right to be angry that i find that very interesting yeah. talk, mm-hmm. talk more about that so again it's this idea that you know this underlying fear of maybe I'm not good enough and I don't matter. So there's nothing worse than feeling like we don't have a right to feel what we feel. And it's why one of the worst things you can say to someone is you shouldn't feel that way. It's mm-hmm. like, well, you know what? Maybe I shouldn't, but I do. Yeah. So, you know, screw you. Um, and we get, again, it's, it's a worry that we're not, we don't, we're not important enough or our needs aren't going to be met. And so much of this comes back to childhood and how supportive your upbringing was. But if we're worried our needs aren't going to be met, it's worried we're not going to be heard which of course at the root is that just I'm not important enough. And so validating people's feelings is just so, so important. And we skip it all the time. Uh, guys are worse. I hate to say it, but we are. Um, and we all, everybody wants to go to be rescuer and go to solution mode as quick as possible. But if you don't validate how someone's feeling, they're not willing to change anything. That's so true. That's so true. Just looping kind of maybe full circle on this whole conversation, I've heard you talk about something that really struck a chord with me, and I think it's, I think it's fascinating, is the link between the inner critic and the core conversation of the inner critic and maybe some of the greatest fears, the, yep. the link between those and your life's purpose. Yeah. Talk to us about, yes. uh, about what you've discovered in your work and what you've what you identified when you looked at some of the themes that are emerging from the people you've worked with. Right. Yeah. I love it. And this is literally my favorite topic on planet earth and it always will be. And it blew my mind when I figured it out, which, so we've got that inner critic voice that tells us to get in our comfort zone and says things you're not going to you know, smart enough. It doesn't work, blah, blah, blah. But there's one specific thing that each of us has that our inner critic says that knows scares the crap out of us because it's related to our childhood and wanting love from our parents and who do we need to be to get that love. So mine says, don't be yourself or people will think you're a goof. So what, what, what's interesting about that is that what that means is that my life purpose in terms of what will most light me up and most be fulfilling for me is to help other people to not feel the way my inner critic tries to make me feel. So if my inner critic at the core says, don't be you, people will think you're a goof. They won't take you seriously. And nothing will light me up more than helping other people be their authentic self. Actually, really quick, uh, clear example of this. So I was working with um, this one guy in the U.S. He worked in HR. And he and his family had moved to the U.S. from Southeast Asia. And when they did that, his, his parents instilled in him, like, we have to fit in. We have to fit in. Uh, we got to be like white people. We've got to be like, we've got to be American. We've got to do everything the way they do it. And he kept hearing that message. So he grew up thinking, I don't fit in. So 
his inner critic message was, you don't fit in. So anytime he went to step out of his comfort zone, his inner voice would say, you don't fit in. This isn't going to work. So I told him how nothing will light us up more than helping other people not feel how our inner critic makes us feel. So I said to him, nothing will make you happier than helping other people fit in. And his whole face lit up. And he's like, he's like, oh my gosh, that's, that's my job. Like I work in HR and I make sure the right people are in the right role. And I said, yeah, of course you do because of that message. And I said, not only will that always light you up the most, but you'll also always feel a little bit like a fake when you do it because you still struggle with trying to fit in. And that's that connection. So if my inner critic says, don't be yourself or people will think you're a goof, nothing will light me up more than helping other people be themselves. And even more so if they want to be a little bit goofy. That makes sense? That makes total sense. And I think it's amazing that that link that you see. So if I play that back, and again, for someone who's listening to this, would it be yeah. would it be then accurate to say, because I think you said it so eloquently, I actually want to go back and listen to that again, is if someone's aware of their inner critic and, and, and they see, they hear this kind of recurring negative self-talk come up, what you're yep. saying is that's actually giving you lots and lots and lots of hints as to what your, your purpose is. And even if you, you dial back kind of the, the, the grandiose epic nature totally. of the thought of a yep. purpose, it's like, there's actually something in that, that if I flip it around, it's something that really light me up and really make me give a great sense of value or contribution to other people. Is that right? Exactly. Yeah. So even if you don't like life purpose is too big, it's just like, well, look, dude, this is what's going to make you happiest. Mm. <laughs> and it's what's going to be most motivating for you. The trick is it's, it's tough to really nail that specific inner critic message on your own because your inner critic doesn't want you to figure it out because it's used this your whole life to keep you in check. Yes. Um, but no, just being aware of that. And what am I worried about here? What am I worried? How am I worried I'm going to be judged? And if we continue to ask that question when we procrastinate or we're scared, how am I worried I'm going to be judged here? We'll start to see the pattern. Um, and what's amazing is, you know, we'll even, we'll even date people that reinforce our inner critic message. So if your inner critic says you don't fit in, at some point in your life, you dated someone who really, really fit in. Because then it kept you feeling like you didn't. And we would rather be right than happy, which is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Because we so, so deeply believe this inner critic message that to go against it is hugely scary. And it's one of the reasons why I've got this big, curly, goofy mustache is I'm telling my inner critic, screw you. This is who I am. I'm doing this. And every time when I get up to do a big keynote, I wake up in the morning, I get out of the shower and I think, oh, maybe I should shave the mustache today. And that's the inner critic just trying to convince me to be more of a bill yes. and don't be goofy because they won't like you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I think yeah, the second part of that statement that you said was really important too because you, you said, uh, and when you do that, when you do help people not feel, the inner critic is saying, you, you might feel yep. or you might or you will feel like a fake, a little bit like a fake totally. when you're doing it. Totally. How do you, how do you help navigate? How do you go... How do you help kind of resolve that in someone's head? It's like, I don't, I want, this is like my calling and I don't feel comfortable doing it. Why is that the, like, help me there? Right. So uh, once you realize where it's all coming from and why it's there, um, you feel a little bit less of, like a fake doing it. Because you now understand why you felt like a fake in the past. Mm. So it'll still be there a little bit, and that's where it's still going to take that courage to push through it. But like anything, right, that idea of like knowledge sets you free. And once once you're aware of it, it loses so much power that then it's just it's going to still take courage to, to do it. But it takes a little bit less because now we're aware. Yeah. And what I've learned along that way, that, that the volume of the inner critic, it tends to scream a little bit louder the closer you get to making that decision. But once you yep. make the decision or once you take that, that courageous action, it's like the balloon pops and that volume and the ferocity of your inner critic, it suddenly can often just wash away. Totally. It gets so much more, more uh, manageable and it's still there and it needs to be there. Like it, if I, I'm super courageous because I do this stuff, but if I don't hear that voice in the next five days, I'm coasting. And I'm like, okay, I, I want to push things a bit more. So I hear that voice because then I know that I'm still learning and I'm doing it for the sake of learning. And I know that when I, if I'm more courageous and I'm more out of my comfort zone, I'm, I'm able to 
continue becoming the best version of myself and therefore I'm the best version and I can help other people even more. And often getting out of that comfort zone and moving beyond comfort, there's also the other kind of same side of the same coin. It's like, it's about the, um, the power of sitting in discomfort. You know, often it's the, I, I, yeah. my experience has been, it's often the immediate reaction. It's maybe the, maybe that's some of that evolutionary survival instinct or the, the years of you um, being uncomfortable or something, but it's the immediate reaction this, the, to the sensation of discomfort, whether that be scare, fearful, nervousness, anxiousness, sweats, whatever it may be. It's usually that immediate reaction to that, that redirects our behavior or choice and helps it, you know, causes us to play small or to avoid it or procrastinate. So, so what's been your experience and your knowledge in, in how to help people get comfortable with discomfort or how to, what's up maybe a, what I'm really asking for is what are some real practical things that someone might do to become more comfortable in a state of discomfort? Right. Uh, so again, one, it's just the understanding that's the way it's going to be, but then it's literally, I wish, I wish there was a magic pill, but there's not. The magic pill is just repetition yes. <laughs> and getting out of our comfort zone as much as we can. And our brain will actually build new neural pathways so that, and that's why I say courage, remember courage is a muscle. And the more I step out of my comfort zone and then go back into my comfort zone, the, e the slightly easier it'll be next time. And so it's, if we want to get more courageous at a very at one specific thing, like public speaking, then we need to speak. We need to get out of our comfort zone with speaking. That's the best thing for it. But every time we get out of our comfort zone in any area of our life, it's still going to help with that speaking because we're getting used to feeling the sensations and pushing through it anyway. So it's starting safe, right? It's not about going into work and taking massive risks. You might lose your job. It's about... You know, what scares you and how can you do this? I mean, when I was, I flew from Toronto to Vancouver once and my brother dared me to wear a costume. And I'm like, all right, this is a chance for me to get out of my comfort zone. I want to get as far out as I can. And I dressed up, I had a full Cleopatra costume. I had like a tiara, I had a full long wig. And so you didn't, bald, you, I had a, so you a didn't just go to Dollarama, the dollar store and buy like a Superman t-shirt. You went all in. <laughs> all in. And it was one of the scariest things I've ever done. But that makes me more courageous in my work because, again, it was a moment where I was terrified and I pushed through it and you build those new neural pathways. So it's still scary to do courageous things, but it's just a tiny bit less scary because of all of those times I chose to be courageous. So it's, it's literally a commitment for life and it's like the gym, like a, it's courage is a muscle. So you be courageous for a bunch of times for a while, you'll get more courageous, but, you know, you stop going to the gym and you go back to the way you were. But at least there's that muscle memory. So when you get back into it, that courage will come up again. And having some of that muscle memory now, what would the the Billy of 2020, what advice would he give to the Billy of 15 years old or 10 years old, the, the younger Billy? What advice would he give him now with the, with the wisdom that you have? Yeah, it's, it's, it's probably the advice that every parent should give their kid their entire life, which is you're you're awesome the way you are, mm. be more you and worry less what people think. That's great. Well, you know, I, I don't know if I've, uh, I was having a, a bit of a flashback when I was preparing for our conversation and I, I think I did uh, let you know at the time, but if I didn't, I wanted to let you know now, you, you the work that you do matters, Billy. And uh, many years ago, well, maybe, maybe 10, eight, seven, eight, 10 years ago, uh, you did a little YouTube video. I think you were at your cottage and you talked about the, the cold water and you were talking about the courage to do something outside your comfort yeah. zone and you ran off the pier and dove into the cold water. And it was a little, was a little like pure Billy, a little, little fun, a little goofy, but I watched that yeah. video. And because of that little video, I went and had a very, very uh, difficult conversation with someone I was close to that really changed the trajectory of my life. And I want to thank you for all the little acts of, uh, inspiration and, and wisdom that you share because it makes people it makes people live a more courageous life that's more true to them. So thanks, thank everything that you do, Billy. You're a you're you're a one of a kind, and uh, Billy is really the the special guy that you you have become. And that's honestly, thank you so much for sharing that. That really makes my day because you know you make those videos and you're like, is anybody watching these? So honest, I'm so glad it was helpful, and thank you for sharing that. That makes it very happy.
You're very welcome. So before I ask the final question, before I ask the final question, where, where can people learn more about your work or, or get in touch with you? Yeah, so that's just to start at my, my website, which is couragecrusade.com, couragecrusade.com. And right away, there's a pop-up to do that free values assessment. Um, I've got a, I've got, I mean, I've got a digital program for people who can't afford coaching. It's on uh, Udemy, U-D-E-M-Y.com. It's called What Is Your Life Purpose? But starting at my website is probably the best. You can see my book there and everything. Right. Great. Well, make sure we uh, put those links in the show notes. So um, the final question for your time on the Ignition Show, Billy, is what do you hope to ignite in the world? Yeah, so it's, it's what we've talked about, which is I would hope to ignite um, people really having the courage to be their authentic self, um, knowing that's good enough. And instead of comparing themselves to everyone else, just comparing themselves to who they were yesterday. That's awesome. Well, thanks very much for your time, Billy. I really appreciate the, your time and I appreciate the work that you do. And Keep doing what you're doing because the world needs more of you. Same goes for you. Thank you for everything you do too. That was Billy Anderson, coach and founder of The Courage Crusade. You can find all the links in our show notes. We want you to get the most of the time you've invested listening here. This show is only valuable if you apply what you learn and most learning is generated from reflection. So we'd love to hear from you and your reflections about what you learned or found interesting. Join the community and go to theignitionshow.com slash connect and let us know what struck you. What was it that you heard today that you really needed to hear today? You can leave us an audio message or join our Facebook group and participate in the conversation there, where we'd love to hear your comments or follow-up questions. Also, be sure to check out the after show of this episode. That's a shorter follow-up episode where we, it's my wife and business partner, Sarah and I, talk about what we learned from this interview and how these ideas have shown up in our lives on a more personal level. As always, if you like what you hear, please subscribe, rate the show, or leave a review in iTunes. It helps others find us and helps us get better. We read every single review and comment that comes through iTunes, Facebook, and our website and respond to as many people as we can. And lastly, remember, whatever you dream of, whatever you hope for, and secretly wish you had, you're closer than you think you are, you're meant to have it, and you absolutely deserve it. Until next time, I'm Chris Jansen, and this is The Ignition Show.